This morning I thought I'd do something a little different. It won't, I won't be speaking directly from a particular passage in the scriptures, although I will make reference to different scriptures throughout the message. Instead, I want to provide you with a message of clarity and celebration as to the direction and mission of Genesis House in light of the Shades family being with us for over the last two weeks. It's been clear in many of my conversations leading up to them coming and even during and after they've left that some of you are very comfortable and know exactly where we're at as a church, um, especially if you've been around us for a long time. But there are many people that may be a bit confused and don't exactly know what's happening and so and where we're headed and so on. And so I thought I would just do a sermon today, a message today, in dealing with all of this. Because it's really important going forward that we have unity. We've had unity basically for nine years, actually 10 years now, 10 years. And I don't want anything to get in the way of uh, that not continuing moving forward. And because I'm also going on holidays, it's probably important timing that I um, have the opportunity to, to present this to you and field any questions that you may have. And if anyone else is sort of in the church, starts maybe talking in the unsure, skeptical realm, you can quickly correct them and say, no, I was there, heard Andrew speak. And you can go to the website and you can listen to this because the devil loves to get gossip going and loves to stir up trouble. So this is going to be a defining, clarifying, celebrating moment. So I want to take you back 10 years. When the Lord put a call in my life into ministry, I was, you know, um, up to that point, I was, all my experience in church life was a lay person. That's all I ever was. And I just sort of, just sort of, not, not all I ever was, but I mean, in terms of like sort of serving the Lord, I was just a, a servant and whatever God provided for me in ministry opportunities um, in the local churches. But when I began to church plant, we church planted with three clear objectives in mind. And the first one, these are the three objectives. We were going to be a church that was relationally focused in discipleship. Meaning that we're going to base our discipleship off of relationships and not church programs. So what do I mean? Um, our discipleship, if, we, if we're going through issues like financial, marital, um, like, you know, any unforgiveness, whatever, we would do it one-on-one -on -one or in groups, and we would do it over relationships in the coffee shop, in people's houses, and so on. We weren't going to run six-week programs in our church and then call it quits, and that's the end of it. Discipleship was an ongoing process based on relationships. We also saw relational evangelism as a key pillar 10 years ago. Again, relationships, not church programs. Not a six-week training program on how to reach your neighbors, but build the relationship with the neighbor, build the relationship with your coworkers, be involved in their lives, and so on and so forth. Look for every opportunity you can. And the third was to church plant eventually. We believe this is the most effective way for multiplying God's kingdom. And you know the way we do church. Uh, you know, if you have 200 people in here and one, and one sort of leader, it's hard to actually fulfill the relational discipleship portion of this uh, mandate. But if you have four churches of 50, you easily can fulfill that mandate. And so the goal is to always church plant and have smaller churches with, with, with cohesive families. So that's, uh, that's the big thing, and that's on our website. That's the vision that was set 10 years ago. If you go there, the vision says that. After reading it, I'm actually going to change some of the things on the website. And I want to introduce you to what those things are going to be. But again, in this whole thing, especially in the relational evangelism side, uh, we wanted to collectively reach the lost by individually taking responsibility. 
But as the years went by, I realized that while there was, was some truth in that, we did have some people who, who on a regular basis sought to share their faith and to bridge the gap. And we did have success stories, uh, you know, people like Shelley, for example, and I think of the Molyneux, um, who all came to faith through this model. As a whole, as a church, collectively, Genesis House was not known for relational evangelism. And this was not a negative comment, it's just a realistic comment. We were, we were just not known for it. Proof, proof of this is when we looked over the audience and we saw that the majority of our growth was through church transference as opposed to new people coming to know Christ. For a long time, I didn't know what to do and how to make changes and how to make inroads into the community. But something happened that I now see the Lord's hand in as I look back in time. The first thing that happened was he had to start with me. He had to start with me. I obviously had a desire for the scriptures a desire to teach God's Word and love the Bible. But prayer was not a strong suit in my life. Now why that's important is that it's actually mandated by God that as a leader, as your pastor, that that is on equal par with the Scriptures. Consider Acts 6. Acts 6, verse 1 to 4. It says, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we, elders, will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now the Lord always starts with me first in sermon preparations, and He basically hit me over the head and said, you're lopsided. You're all about the Bible. You're all about discipleship. You're all about teaching. Get everything theologically right. But you're, you don't have a strong prayer life. Recognizing this, three years ago, I joined the national prayer team for the Free Methodist Church in Canada. And I made it very clear to all the members, I'm here as a student. I'm not going to be able to offer you very much in terms of how to pray, what to pray for, you know, any of these things. I'm just here to learn from you, and if you're cool with me being on the team in those regards, then, you can, um, then you can accept me. And they said, sure, we love your heart, and that's good enough for us, and you can learn here. What happened then is the leader of the national prayer team said, Andrew, would you start a prayer ministry just for the Western Canada instead of the national? So we used to have Zoom meetings once a month, and it was on a national platform. And he said to me, would you do a Western platform? You, someone's responsible for the East, you be responsible for the West. And I said, sure, I can do that. So once a month, I lead a Western prayer meeting on Zoom from basically people from Saskatchewan through to BC. But what happened to me as I did that for two years is I received a life-changing email on August 24th, 2021 from one of our members who joined on a regular basis named Betty Lewis. Betty Lewis sent me this email. Andrew, you need to check this out. Communities transformed through unity, prayer, and fasting. And she sent me the link. I watched the video, hour and 50 minutes long, one was absolutely blown away. And I showed you portions of this at Genesis House a year ago, back in September when I presented the new vision. There were four cities in four, in four different countries around the world 
who had terrible things going on. There was drug cartels present in their communities. There was murder. There was uh, men who were just constantly uh, uh, neglecting their jobs and their families because of alcoholism. There were people sleeping in the streets because of their drunkenness. Um, there were gangs uh, where people were terrified to go out in the streets. The, the, the produce of the land was struggling. There were some places that, agriculturally that were just in disaster. There were new age buildings uh, and different spiritual, spiritual strongholds in the cities that were just there for years. I could just go on about the list of, of, of sins and, and atrocities over and over. And the commonality in all these videos was that a small group of believers gathered together to pray and fast and cartels fell. Drug cartels fell. Jails were emptied. The police, uh, the jail guard said, or the, ch the chief of police there said, I don't have really much any work to do. My jails are pretty much always empty every day when they used to be always full. Men became sober. Gangs were dismantled. The produce of the land was, was, they had carrots like the size of my elbow, like my forearm. Just crazy changes. All the new age, one of the new age buildings is burned down through prayer. And I was like, I know what to do now. I know what to do. And so it led to, in September of last year, sharing my heart for our church and the new vision for Genesis House. We were going to become a house of prayer. Not only that, we were going to take prayer to the streets of Okotos and go out. And just like all those other cities in which God's supernatural hand broke down strongholds, we were going to rely on God's supernatural spirit to break down the strongholds in Okotos. And so we formed weekly men's uh, prayer walks, weekly women's prayer walks. Um, we made more concerted effort in the men's Bible study, for example, to pray for one another. We had two 40-day periods of fasting where we sought on God's dependence. And then we started the prayer on the streets ministry, which began in September, October, November, December, sort of like having formal meetings about how to do it. But then we started actually going on the streets of January. So again, these are some of the things that propelled us forward to change the vision. But the final, the final uh, straw on the camel's back for us and for me personally was a book I received from my sister at Christmas time. It was called Scattered Servants, written by a pastor from Ireland. He's a Scottish pastor, but he's written, written by a pastor in Ireland. And he wrote about basically how to fulfill Jesus' calling in Matthew 5 to be a light of the world in darkness. And basically the whole message of the book is take the Holy Spirit's power and presence into the communities. Stop thinking about your church, every ministry within the four church walls and make your whole ministry outside the church walls. Now the book didn't change me because, because I saw a new vision. I was already going that way from the video that Betty Lewis sent me. Where, what, what it did though was it led me to meeting John and his family. So how did I meet John and his family? I phoned my sister and I said, I know you know the author of this book. I can't get a hold of him. I've been trying and I'm, I just can't get any inroads into to having a conversation with him because my intention was to say, I'm starting a street ministry with our leadership here. Can I get some guidance on what to do? And my sister says, why are you worrying about him? Why don't you talk to his best friend that grew up on the streets of Glasgow with him since they were childhood? Who, are, who was part of that streets, healing in the streets ministry 20 years ago, 
who is now active church planner. Why don't you talk to him instead? And I said, sure. I emailed John. He got back to me that same day and says, I'm willing to talk. That first conversation led to his idea. Let's meet weekly on my day off. On my day off. Let's meet weekly for half an hour to an hour, and I will answer any questions you have about street ministry. Six weeks later, him and I started talking about him coming to Canada, and the rest is history. 20 years of experience, France, Norway, Sweden, Kenya. He saw God's supernatural hand at work, the salvation of many, and a man, in, and actually his wife too, operates in the gifts of the Spirit. He came to train us, impart his knowledge, and we all agree, I believe, <laughs> that we learned a lot about prayer and, the, and gave us boldness and the administration of the Holy Spirit gifts. So that's the background. That's the background from 10 years to this day. Now I realize that not during this time, not everybody was totally sure about them, where we were going, what we were doing. I'm sure they made you uncomfortable at times, even skeptical. But here's what's really important. Wherever God's people are assembled, I shall back up, especially in uncomfortableness in the area of healing and words of knowledge. They're very, very, that's what they came for, to teach us how spiritual gifts work and to teach us how to pray for healing, emotional, physical, spiritual, the whole gamut. So when they came here, um, they, they made some of us like, probably sort of uncomfortable in our boots. But remember this, wherever God's people are assembled, scripture makes it clear that wherever God's people are is to be a place of healing and for spiritual gifts to be take place. Let me say that again. The church community or wherever God's people assembled is the place in which those things are to occur. There's an incredible passage in Matthew 21 and we read it and we focus on one aspect of it, but forget the second aspect, to me the most important. Look at Matthew 21, a famous scene, Jesus walking into the temple and he cleans out the temple because they turned it into a den of robbers. So look at this. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who, those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Next verse. <laughs> and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You see what happened? Jesus got rid of all the religion to make space for what the temple was intended for. To bring the broken people in to receive healing. Why couldn't they heal in the temple? Because they, the religious leaders of the day made it into something that was never intended for, and there was no space for healing. Isn't that incredible? That should like make you want to just yell, Hallelujah! <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Let's not get too carried away here, though, guys. Yeah. Isn't it amazing, though? Religion is pushed out, healing is brought in. See, the definition of a house of prayer can be just from these verses alone. Like, uh, what a house of prayer is, is like a pretty big category. But let's just take it from this text alone. See, uh, being a house of prayer is not this. Me standing here, opening the church, church service with a nice prayer. 
me praying before the sermon starts, and then me closing with a prayer at the end. That's not a house of prayer. According to this, there were prayers going on in the temple all the time amongst like the religious leadership and stuff. The problem was there was no place for healing, for the broken to come in, physical, spiritual, emotional, for people to be set free, for people to be delivered from brokenness, for people to have renewal and restoration. And so this is, what, this is why it's important for us as we think about our future. We want Genesis House to be a place of healing. Then we are truly a house of prayer. But, but also, John talked about, spoke about spiritual gifts and would proclaim words of knowledge, but for sure would have really pushed some of your boundaries. Well, think about where the spiritual gifts are to operate. Where are the spiritual gifts to operate within a community, in the church assembly? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read something together. Starting in verse 4. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4. I'll take 30 seconds to let you get there. Okay, let's read this. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to the other the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to the other prophecy, and to another the distinction of spirits, or distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. Just as He wills. Now, notice that miracles, healings, and things like that, are, words of prophecy, are in here. They're in here. And they're occurring in the church services when God's people are assembled. Our problem is this. All of you in here at some point have probably been hurt by people who have abused these gifts. So it's turned your heart against this area of Christianity. But don't let the abuses rob you from what God wants from us in these verses. And what he's, what he's offered to us in terms of these giftings. He later on in verse 40 just says, just do these things in an orderly fashion. So don't let the abuses of the past affect the way you view church today. The scripture clearly is in favor of, what, of this occurring in our church services. So if you had the gift of healing, they, were, they would happen in whenever God's people assembled. If there was a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy, it happened when God's people assembled. So when John is up here with Charlene and they're, they're saying these things and declaring things and offering healing, this is a biblical mandate. We don't have to be scared of that. God is saying, I'm for that. I'm the one who gives the gifts. Now, what's the purpose of them? Not to focus on the gifts, but to edify and build up the body of Christ. 
I want you to look at this in chapter 14. This is really important. What's the purpose of gifts in the church service? Why are they there? I want you to look at chapter 14 and verse 4. One who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So there you go, there's the corporate building up of the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. There it is again, it's to build up the church. That's the purpose for the gifts. The problem with tongues is, without an interpreter, is it doesn't build up the church because no one knows what you're saying. But prophecy, they do know what you're saying. It's in your language, and so you get it. But look at, again, um, this idea of edification in verse 12. So also, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Again, the building of the church is the key for the gifts. And look at verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, and has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Let all things be done for edification. So let's just go and look at what happened here. On the testimony night in the park, the testimony night in the park, I wrote down people's things, and I just, I, like, I wrote down about 12 testimonies from people who all shared how they felt encouraged, strengthened, and built up in the faith. Now, one person stood up and said, you know what, this has been a complete waste of time. I feel farther away from the Lord than I ever have, and you should never come. Every single person said, I have this new hope, this new joy, this new, this new zeal, like zealousness for God and to, to, to share His kingdom with people, and just felt emboldened. And think about what happened. What happened? There were physical healings that propelled people forward in that way. There's also emotional healings that propelled people forward in that way. Right? So, you know, like we saw Mark's ankle healed, Toby's ankle healed, Denise's hands healed, little Peter with his lymph nodes, those are all physical. But we saw some emotional things happen as well. Where people shared about how how they've, how they've changed in their anxiousness or their depressive state and so on. There's been tremendous changes and everyone felt built up. But I wanted to share one text message from Shelly. I just I sent a text message to her midweek and said, how are you doing since we prayed for you? And this is what she said. I'll do my best to, oh, before I get in here, she was prayed for twice. Saturday night, the first night was for insomnia because she hadn't slept more than two hours for years and she was never getting waking up rested. So insomnia for Saturday and Sunday, Laura and I prayed for her here down in this aisle and we prayed for physical strength because she was just feeling so weak. Okay, so insomnia and just overall like strength in her body to, to, to make it day to day. I'll do my best to describe how this has changed my life. I wake up feeling rested clear-minded, encouraged and feeling physically stronger. By the way, when you and Laura prayed for me on Sunday, I said I had goosebumps. I'm already feeling a change in my feet and calves, and it feels like the nerves are sparkling back to life. I have even more balance. I try not to cry sending this text. I am truly thankful. Does that sound like a woman who's built up in the faith, encouraged, strengthened? That's the purpose of words of knowledge. That's the purpose of the gifts of healing, is to build up the body of Christ. 
And every so I could go on, like that testimony night was amazing. People shared their stories about what it meant to have them here. So the question is, like, why now? Like, why did it sort of take a cult, like, why did it sort of accumulate in just this two-week period uh, with them here? I'm going to give to you what I think are three reasons as to why. Like, I'm not the Lord, and so, you know, if I asked him in, in an interview, he'd probably say it's because of this. But just in my human wisdom, looking at what's happened over the last 10 years and the last two weeks, here's what I believe are the answers as to why we saw a, 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 an abundance of things happening now than we ever have before. The first one is this, because God is answering our prayers. <laughs> Listen, we started in September saying our vision is not working. It's broken. We started praying in small groups, organizing prayer walks. Uh, I, I, this is awesome. Do you know like uh, uh, since September till July, we only missed two weeks? Two weeks in terms of like or an organized prayer meeting like on the streets? Two. And, and they were unforeseen circumstances. Ironically, one was the day that jo the day uh, John was to arrive. <laughs> or whatever, so everyone forgot because they're excited about getting here. But other than that, we missed one. You talk about faithfulness. And what were we doing in those prayer meetings? We were asking God to like bring revival to the community, to bring revival to our church, to change our hearts, to be bold and in the faith, all these things. So I believe that God is answering prayers in this stuff. The other one is interesting too, is because we're actually seeking the spiritual gifts. For eight and a half, nine years, we never sought the gifts. Why weren't we? Just like me or you, I, we were all hurt by them. And we know, because because the Bible says, well, love is the most important thing. We just focused on love. And because the Word of God is so important, we focus on the Word of God. But the reality is, is that the gifts are there for us to have. And in three times, he says, desire them. This is Paul's instruction. He says, pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. 1439, my brethren, earnestly desire to prophesy. 1231, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Paul is saying, guys, go after them. Go after them. And I thought of an analogy. Imagine being a parent, okay? Oh, well, let me back up. God is clearly the giver of the gifts in, in Corinthians. Like, over and over he says, God gives, God gives, God gives. But then Paul says, earnestly desire. So there's this whole tension we love in the church. God's sovereignty and the free will of man, right? But it's kind of like, the, like, like a parent. So imagine it's, um, you've got this pantry full of amazing treats for your kids. And so you've stored up all these treats in your pantry for your kids, and you want to give them to them on their birthdays, and you want to give them to them at Christmas, and, and when they've done good in their report card, and just because you love them on occasion. But your kids never ask. So you will give them out. You've got all this abundance for your kids, but your kids never ask, so they sit there and you think, man, I sure wish my kids would ask, because i got some pretty cool goodies for these guys. Now ultimately, our, our relationship's measured on love. That's the most important, but i got gifts. And so for nine years, we sat here, and we've like, we got the Bible, we got the Word of God, and we got good, well, good teaching. I mean, you can discuss that all day long. I won't be offended if you say no. Maybe just when the guest speakers show up. <laughs> but pretty good teaching, I guess, right? So we've got, uh, you know, we've got all the discipleship going on. We've got this idea of church planning. And God's like, yeah, but I got this goodie bags in the pantry that I'm willing to give you, but you just never ask. But you let the abuses of these gifts never make you come to me. And so in September we started praying. 
Every single time I sat in the park with the guys and we prayed, I said, Lord, if you have anything to give us, give us them. And for me, especially words of knowledge. Because when I'm on the streets, I want to know something about the person I'm ministering to so that I can tell them something they know about themselves that only God could know. But by me revealing it, clearly shows there's a God in heaven. Purpose for that is to lead them to salvation. I don't want the gift of tongues, necessarily. If God gives it to me, great. I don't want that one. I want the word of knowledge for myself because I'm an evangelist. So I want to know things about people to surprise them about what God knows about them. So we've been seeking Him. We've been seeking gifts for the first time. Finally, why now? Because God used two Holy Spirit gifted individuals amongst us. We invited people who were who knew things and were operating in ways that we didn't know to train us. And they came in and the, their Holy Spirit given gifts were operating amongst us. Before the shades came, there were three significant miracles in our church. It, since we started praying back in September, Mark had a trigeminal nerve always bugging him and gave him massive migraines. And any of you who know about people who suffer from that, it's just debilitating. But Jason and I prayed for Mark's trigeminal nerve before Christmas, and he hasn't had an attack since. Laurel was prayed for with her hip and back pain by Teresa and the girls in a Bible study, went home and woke up the next morning completely pain-free after like months and months of debilitation. Could barely go for walks with her husband anymore. Cheryl received emotional healing over 40 years of bondage and the Lord delivered her of them all. Three miracles, but an explosion of miracles when John and Charlene came. I counted no less than 12. 12 in a church of like 50 adults. And not everybody even asked for prayer. So how many could it have been if, it was we, asked, if we asked for more? They imparted knowledge to us. They imparted their experience to us. They taught us how to pray, how to be bold. They taught us what to expect and what not to expect and how to work through those emotions. So what does that mean for us now? What does life look like from Gen for Genesis House from this day going forward? We will continue to be known as a church who will seek to be relationally discipling people. It's not that we give up the, the desire to seek to, on an individual level to go after people. We're, we still continue to do that. We're going to continue to be a relational disciple church. But we don't do programs. We primarily do um, relationships as the means of teaching people about God's ways. And we're going to continue to look to church plant in the future. We just need some leaders to rise up to take that on. We're going to continue these things. But now, just like we have been for the last nine months, we are going to be known as a house of prayer. We're going to continue our weekly meetings. We're going to continue in our small groups to pray for one another. We're going to continue in our corporate gatherings to pray as we have over the last two weeks. That's not going to change. When Jesus cleared out the religion, the lame and the brokenhearted came in for healing from the Master. We are going to be known as a place to offer that for the community and for fellow Christians. We're also going to be a place known that we're open to the spiritual gifts to operate. 
I'm not going to pretend like I have words of knowledge like John. I, I don't. I haven't been given that gift. But maybe one day, through their, their presence here, maybe they've imparted things to us that we don't even realize. But we need to give them space to operate in our community. And so we're going to be open to do that too. And we will correct any abuses. And we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to learn. It's going to be a trial and error process. But you know what? John and Char John's going to continue to talk to me on a regular basis for as long as I need. So whenever we, if we have any questions, we have someone that can say, you know what? After 20 years of this, here's how I recommend you correct that. So you have to show us grace. Show the leadership grace as we walk through this as a community. And we're in a learning curve too. But we're not going to squench. We're not going to rob God out of the pantry of stuff that he wants to give us. <laughs> we're going to continue to ask. We're going to make this place a healing. And make this a place for spiritual gifts to operate. So I hope this brings clarity. I hope this brings clarity to the vision of our church. Where we've been, where we're at now, and where we're going. However, this message is also about celebration. Celebration. So what are we to celebrate? Well, in, we've gone from having a particular vision to look a particular way for nine years. In less than one year, we now have a collective, not individualistic, but a collective presence in the community for evangelism and prayer. Amen for that. And I, I mean, the stories are cool. Like, just Mark alone in the last uh, two weeks has had two opportunities uh, to share the gospel with um, um, uh, two different individuals just in the last two weeks alone. And so this is just an incredible, incredible opportunity. Our name is getting known. Not that that's important. I'm not, we're not striving to do that, but we're, it's slowly people are learning about who we are. So we're going to, yeah, we, we can celebrate the fact that we have a collective presence in the community. And we're collectively, not individualistically, evangelistic in nature. And we're truly loving our neighbor. We're truly loving our neighbor for the first time in a collective way. Number two, our church is a house of prayer now. So we have a collective presence in the community. Our church is known as a house of prayer. And by that, I mean a house where healing can take place. A house of prayer, a house where healing can be offered and take place. And we can also celebra celebrate that our church is edified. I've never heard or seen our church more joyous, more full of hope, more full of love and boldness than ever before. And we are in a spiritual high. And the devil will want to take us off that high and drop us right down. Our job is to resist the devil and he will flee from us. So enjoy, enjoy it while it's here right now. But we're going to continue to strive to maintain this vision. I'll end with my own personal thoughts on the whole thing. If I were to say what changed in me the most, and so some of you might say, well, duh, Andrew, I've always been there in my life, but let me just show you where I'm at. Probably for the first time in my life, uh, Jesus Christ moved and moved uh, became more tangible to me than ever before. What do I mean by tangible? Meaning, I always believed what this said about him and the archaeological findings and stuff. So I had no doubt that Jesus Christ existed, and I'd read about the things that he did in the Bible and thought these are true for us today, but never saw them really manifest in our, in our ministry or in my life, like in a, in a very powerful, powerful, evident way. Jesus Christ moved from the pages of the Bible and in my head to my heart. And a desire to live that life out. 
Sherry did the same for you as well this last couple of weeks.